Section 9 The French Revolution This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The French Revolution by Hilaire Belloc Section 9 Chapter 3 Continued Carnot Carnot, the predecessor of Napoleon and the organizing soldier of the early revolutionary wars, owed his power to backbone. He had not only a good solidity of brain, but an astonishing power of using it for hours and hours on end. This he owed, perhaps, to the excellent physical stock of which he came, the eldest of a very large family born to a notable lawyer in Burgundy. It was Carnot's pride to hold a commission in the learned arms which were to transform at that moment the art of war. For as Bonaparte, his successor, was a gunner, so he was a sapper. His practice of exact knowledge in application and the liberal education which his career demanded further strengthened the strong character he had inherited. More important still, in his democratic views, he was what none of the older officers had been, convinced and sincere. He had not come within the influence of the very wealthy or the very powerful. He was young, and he knew his own mind, not only in matters of political faith, but in the general domain of philosophy and in the particular one of military science. It has been said of him that he invented the revolutionary method of strategical concentration and tactical massing in the field. There is some truth in this, but the method would not have been possible had he not also invented, in company with Danton, and supported after Danton left power, a universal system of conscription. Carnot understood, as only trained soldiers can, the value of numbers, and he depended with great sagacity upon the national temper. Thus at Watigny's, which was a victory directly due to his genius, though it was novel in him to have massed troops suddenly upon the right after a check on the extreme left of the field, yet the novelty would have been no effect had he not comprehended that, with his young fellow-countrymen as troopers, he could depend upon a charge delivered after thirty-six hours of vigil. He used not only the national, but also the revolutionary temper in war. One of the chief features, for instance, of the revolutionary armies when they began to be successful was the development of lines of skirmishers who pushed out heartily before the main bodies and were the first in the history of modern warfare to learn the use of cover. This development was spontaneous. It was produced within and by each unit, not by any general command. But Carnot recognized it at Hoon Shoot and used it ever after. The stoical inflexibility of his temper is the noblest among the many noble characters of his soul. He never admitted the empire, and he suffered exile, seemingly thereby in the eyes of the vilest and most intelligent of his contemporaries, Fouché, to be a mere fool. He was as hard with himself as with others, wholly military in the framework of his mind, and the chief controller of the terror which he used as it was intended to be used for the military salvation of the Republic. Marat Marat is easily judged. 
the complete sincerity of the enthusiast is not difficult to appreciate when his enthusiasm is devoted to a simple human ideal which has been as it were fundamental and common to the human race equality within the state and the government of the state by its general will these primal dogmas on the reversion to which the whole revolution turned were marat's creed those who would ridicule or condemn him because he held such a creed are manifestly incapable of discussing the matter at all the ridicule and condemnation under which marat justly falls do not attach to the patent moral truths he held but to the manner in which he held them he did not only hold them isolated from other truths it is the fault of the fanatic to so hold any truth but he held them as though no other truths existed and whenever he found his ideal to be in practice working at a friction or stopped dead his unnourished and acute enthusiasms at once sought a scapegoat discovered a responsible agent and suggested a violent outlet for the delay he was often right when he denounced a political intriguer he often would have sacrificed a victim not unjustly condemned he often discovered an agent partially responsible and even the violent solutions that he suggested were not always impractical but it was the prime error of his tortured mind that beyond victims and sudden violent clutches at the success of democracy there was nothing else he could conceive he was incapable of allowing for imperfections for stupidities for the misapprehension of mind by mind for the mere action of time and for all that renders human life infinitely complex and infinitely adjustable humor the reflection of such wisdom he lacked judgment as the english idiom has it he lacked still more if a comparative term may be attached to two such absolute vacuities it must not be forgotten that so complete an absence of certain necessary qualities in the building up of mind are equivalent to madness marat was not sane his insanity was often generous the creed to which it was attached was obvious enough and in the eyes of most of us it is a creed to be accepted but he worked with it as a madman who is mad on collectivism let us say or the rights of property might work in our society thinking of this one thesis shrieking it and foaming at the mouth upon it losing all control when its acceptance was not even opposed but merely delayed he was valueless for the accomplishment of the ends of the revolution his doctrine and his adherence to it were so conspicuously simple and sincere that it is no wonder the populace made him for a few months a sort of a symbol of their demand for the rest his face like the character was tortured he carried with him a disease of the skin that irritated perpetually his wholly unbalanced temper some say but one must always be aware of so-called science in the reading of history that a mixture of racial types produced in him was a perpetual physical disturbance his face was certainly distorted and ill-balanced but physical suggestions of that sort are very untrustworthy those who met him in the management of affairs thought him worthless enough a few who knew him intimately loved him dearly more who came across him continually were fatigued and irritated by his empty violence he was among those young revolutionaries 
almost an elderly man. He was, this should never be forgotten, a distinguished scholar in his own trade, that of medicine, and he affected less in the revolution than any man to whom a reputation of equal prominence happened to attach. He must stand responsible for the massacre of September. Robespierre no character in the revolution needs for its comprehension a wider reading and a greater knowledge of the national character than robespierre's upon no character does the comprehension of the period more depend and none for reasons i will give in a moment has been more misunderstood not only in the popular legend but in the weighed decisions of competent historians so true is this that even time which in company with scholarship usually redresses such errors, has not yet permitted modern authors to give a true picture of the man. The reason of so conspicuous a failure in the domain of history is this, that side by side with the real Robespierre, there existed in the minds of all his contemporaries, save those who actually came across him in the functions of government, a legendary Robespierre, a Robespierre popularly imagined, and that this imaginary Robespierre, while it or he has proved odious to posterity, seemed while he lived a fascinating portrait to the man himself, and therefore he accepted it. For Robespierre, though just, lacked humility. The problem is an exceedingly subtle, as well as an exceedingly difficult one. The historian, as he reads his authorities, has perpetually to distinguish between what is strong and what is weak evidence and to recall himself, as he reads, to reality by a recollection of what Robespierre himself was. If he does not do so, he falls at once into the legend. So powerful is that legend in the numbers that supported it, and so strongly did Robespierre himself support it by his own attitude. The legendary Robespierre may be described in a very few lines. Conceive a man sincerely convinced of the purest democratic theory, a man who cared for nothing else but the realization of that theory, and who had never sacrificed his pursuit of its realization in the state to any personal advantage whatsoever. This man, trusted by the people and at last idolized by them, becomes more and more powerful. He enters the governing body, the Committee of Public Safety. He is the master both within and without that body, and uses his mastery for establishing an ideal democracy which shall recognize the existence of God and repose upon civic virtue. And to establish this ideal, he has recourse to terror. He finds that human defections from his ideal are increasingly numerous. He punishes them by death. The slaughter grows to be enormous. The best of Democrats are involved in it. At last, it can be tolerated no longer. His immediate subordinates revolt against him in the committee. He is outlawed, fails to raise a popular rebellion in his favor in Paris, is executed, and his system of terror falls to the ground. This picture, though purely legendary in tone, contains not only much truth, but truth of precisely that sort which conspires to make credible what is false in the whole. Robespierre was sincerely attached to the conception of an ideal democracy. He was incorruptible in the pursuit of it. 
and to be a politician and incorruptible amounts to something like what the church calls heroic virtue in a man he did enter the committee of public safety he did support the terror and when he was overthrown the terror did come to an end where then does this legend differ from the truth in these capital points which change it altogether that robespierre was not the chief influence in the committee of public safety the all-powerful executive of the republic that he did not desire the terror that he did not use it that he even grew disgusted with it and that in general he was never the man who governed france it need hardly be pointed out how such a truth destroys a legend the whole nature of the twelve months between the summer of seventeen ninety three and the summer of seventeen ninety four must vary accordingly as we regard them as robespierrean or no and they were not robespierrean what were they then and why has the error that robespierre was then master arisen those months which may roughly be called the months of the terror were as we shall see later in this book months of martial law and the terror was simply martial law in action a method of enforcing the military defense of the country and of punishing all those who interfered with it or were supposed by the committee to interfere with it no one man in the committee was the author of this system but the one who most determined to use it and the one who had most occasion to use it was undoubtedly the military organizer carnot side by side with him one man such as barrier supported it because it kept up the committee of public safety which gave him all his political position another such as st just supported it because he believed that the winning of the war in which he took an active part would secure democracy everywhere and forever another such as jean bon supported it from the old sectarian bitterness of the huguenot but of all men in the committee robespierre supported the terror least and was most suspected by his colleagues and increasingly suspected as time went on of desiring to interfere with the martial system of the terror and to modify it why then was robespierre popularly identified with the terror and why when he was executed did the terror cease robespierre was identified with the terror because he was identified with the popular clamor of the time with the extreme democratic feeling of the time and its extreme fear of a reaction robespierre being the popular idol had become also the symbol of a popular frenzy which was supposed to be ruling the country but that frenzy was not ruling the country what was ruling the country was the committee of public safety in which carnot's was the chief brain robespierre was indeed the idol of the populace he was in no way the agent of their power or of any power why when he fell did the terror cease if he were not its author because the terror was acting under a strain it was with the utmost difficulty that this absolute intolerant and intolerable martial system could be continued when once the fear of invasion was removed for some weeks before robespierre fell the victories had begun to render it unnecessary when the committee saw to it that robespierre should be outlawed by the parliament they knocked away without knowing it the keystone of their own policy it was his popular position which made their policy possible when he was destroyed they suddenly found that the terror could no longer be maintained men had borne with it 
because of Robespierre, falsely imagining that Robespierre had desired it. Robespierre gone, men now would not bear with it any more. Now finally, if Robespierre himself had always felt opposed to the system of the terror, why did he not take the lead in popular reaction against it? He had his opportunity, given him by Danton in December 1793, seven months before his own catastrophe. The committee determined to put Danton out of the way because Danton, in appealing for mercy, was weakening the martial power of their government. Robespierre might have saved Danton. He preferred to let him be sacrificed. The reason was that Robespierre wrongly believed popularity to lie upon the side of the terror and against Danton. He was in no way a leader, save in rhetoric and in rhetoric directed towards what men already desired, and his own great weakness or vice was the love of popular acclaim. Later on, in the summer of 1794, when he actually began to move against the terror, he only did so privately. He so misread man that he still believed the terror to be popular, and dared not lose his popular name. A man by nature as sincere as crystal, he was tempted to insincerity in this major thing during the last months of his life, and he yielded completely to the temptation. For the sake of his memory, it was deplorable, and deplorable also for history. His weakness has been the cause of an historical error as grave as any that can be discovered in modern letters, and at the same time has wholly maligned him to posterity. A factor in Robespierre's great public position, which is often forgotten, is the great effect of his speeches, that men should still debate after so vast a change in taste whether those speeches were eloquent or no, is a sufficient proof of their effect. He spoke in an ordered and reasoned manner, which bored the fine spirits of the early parliaments, but well suited the violent convictions of the later revolution. His phraseology, his point of view, just jumped with that of his audience. He could express what they felt, and express it in terms which they knew to be exact, and which they believed to be grand. For his manner was never excessive, and those excessive men who hurt him in an excessive mood were proud to know that their violence could be expressed with so much scholarship and by moderated skill. By birth he was of the smaller gentry, though poor. It is an indication of his character that he had thought of taking orders, and that in early youth literary vanity had affected him. He has left no monument, but from the intensity of his faith and from his practice of it, his name, though it will hardly increase, will certainly endure. The end of section 9. The end of chapter 3.